Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Now, if you have your bulletin, you use the QR code, however it is you're going to access the notes, we are going to wrap up this series called Rooted, where we've been looking at the book of Colossians. We've just going through, going through Colossians chapter by chapter. And yes, we are just kind of hitting the high points. Even though this is a really short book, you could read it in 15 minutes or less. Uh, I know some of you have, have done that. And you, you've taken that on, and I've challenged you that if you didn't have a reading program already, to just go ahead and, and just read Colossians every week or maybe even every day, read the same book of the Bible every day. When I was in college, I had a guy who was, uh, everybody around here called him the master pastor. He was a guy named Floyd Kreider. And if you were involved in Emmaus at all over the last 10 years, you'd know who Floyd Kreider is. And anyways, we were in college together, even though he was old enough to be my grandpa. And so, uh, and so he wasn't that old, but he was older. And um, anyways, but he, he preached a message one time, and he challenged us to read the book of Philippians every day uh, for a month. Um, and so I, t- I did it. I read the book of Philippians every day for a month. And uh, anyways, it just challenged me, and, and it was exciting because you're reading the same passages of Scripture every day, but it was so cool to see how dynamic it was in the Holy Spirit speaking something fresh. It didn't get staler and staler as I read it. It became more and more alive as I read it. And that's one of the beautiful things of God's word is it's, it is alive and active. So as we are wrapping up Colossians, this book that again can be read in 15 minutes and I'm gonna, over the course of this series, I'm gonna have spent two hours talking about it. Um, not all in one chunk. Don't know what happened there. Um, and so, but even with those two hours, we're just hitting the high points of this. And so the core of this series is in the, the heart, I believe, Paul is trying to communicate to the Colossian um, believers is this idea of staying rooted and grounded in Jesus. And so let's just go ahead and connect with this, that to build a life on Jesus. Our lives should be rooted in Jesus. Um, the first three chapters, um, as we've looked at over the last three weeks, um, really deal with staying focused on who Jesus is. Um, I know that we, you know, we call ourselves Christians, but if you've been doing this for a little while, you know that there is this drift tendency for this thing that we call Christianity to drift somehow away from Jesus, that it drifts into other things. It drifts into these things about doing things for Jesus and and a lot of daily things, and it drifts away from the core of who he is. And Paul, in those first three chapters, is just calling the Corinthian believers back to the core nature of who Jesus is and what he's done. But as he's wrapping up his letter in chapter four, chapter four, he begins to tell us some things that we can begin to do to some practical things to walk in the truth of what he's established in the first part of his letter. And we've launched with this passage out of chapter two with this idea that, so then just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, The same way you received him, which was by faith, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted 
and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. I think as we are here about to go into Thanksgiving, that's something that kind of ought to be on our heart, that we ought to be overflowing with thankfulness. And the thankfulness is, comes into this place uh, of the being strengthened in the faith that we were taught. Sometimes it can be, it can be easy to be grateful for something that's new and exciting that came into your life, you know? You sit there and you get something new and something happens. You get the new job and all of a sudden you're on social media. New job. See you suckers. All you losers at the old job. You know, man, new job. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag thankful. Um, and so, you know what? The old job may have been a little better. Um, not that the new job isn't a great opportunity, um, but the old job may have been a little better if you were as thankful for that job that was depositing money in your account, helping you be able to feed your belly and put a roof over your head, it may have been a little more enjoyable had you carried some thankfulness for something that was already there. And Paul is calling us to this place of being able to walk in a thankfulness to the things we were already taught. It should never get old being thankful for the fact that God loves you. This truth that God loves you, it ought to just be overwhelming. I remember as I was driving in to uh, um, San Angelo, um, I had been back home. It's my freshman year at ASU. I'd been back home, and I was coming in and from a, a visit, and God had just really been stern on me. I had been raised in church. I'd been raised in the Bible. I'd been raised with, with parents who took their relationship with God seriously all my life. I'd been raised in and had my moments. But I was in that space where I had not owned my relationship with God to the degree that I was really needed to as an adult. And I was driving down the highway and just thinking about God and thinking about the, the things of God and, and just the Holy Spirit just really stirred me to begin to make some, some decisions I really needed to make um, to begin to, to really go in that direction. And the basic little kid song began to just come up out of my heart. And I just began singing, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. And as I began to just sing that in my 1980 Ford F-100 going down the road, I just began to just weep. I was just sitting there going down the highway and just crying at the truth that just hit me in a bigger wave, in a bigger place than, than I had ever felt of something I had been singing. I can't remember the first time I heard the song, Jesus Loves Me. I don't know when I was first exposed to that, but the truth of that, that I had already been taught, began to overwhelm me. And I began to cry so hard, I had to pull off the highway because I could not see. I was crying so hard at this truth that Jesus loves me. It should never get old. That Jesus loved me, the, the core stuff of what God has done for us should never get old. But sometimes we want to move on to the new and exciting and the shiny and Paul's calling us back to these core things that we were already taught, these things 
that we have to build on, that we have to be rooted in, that we have to be solid on. Um, we, uh, if you're new with us, um, uh, we have seven kids, and so ranging from 25 to six, about to be seven. She'll tell you in four days, she will be seven, and uh, she is super excited. Um, and so uh, we've, got a, we've got a big family, and uh, we've got uh, three boys. Um, Carson is our youngest son. He's 17, senior in high school. Um, and Carson uh, loves to work. He loves to just do things with his hands, always has. When he was a, he was a little guy and he was eight, nine years old, um, one year for Christmas, he asked for a shovel, a rake, and a wheelbarrow, uh, that was what he wanted. He would literally, he would go out and he would get our broom and he would sweep our front porch for fun. <laughs> he just loved to work. And so sure enough, a kid asked for shovel, rake, and wheelbarrow. He got a shovel, rake, and a wheelbarrow. And a kid that wants a shovel, rake, and a wheelbarrow wants to use the shovel, the rake, and the wheelbarrow. And so he got in our backyard and dug a hole. And uh, as most holes go, um, they're never placed in a good spot. Um, holes are just always in a bad spot. You just don't, you never go, wow, that's a really well-placed hole. That is the perfect spot for a hole. Somebody really thought that through. And so it was a terribly placed hole. He dug a hole in a horrible spot. It was about six feet off our patio where we played basketball. You go to chase a ball and you go off of the patio just one, and you're going to step in a hole and you're going to break your leg off. You're not going to break. You're going to like leave chunks of it behind. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this hole and I'm like, Carson, son, son, you're going to have to cover up the hole. We cannot have that. I'm sorry you worked hard. And man, he was just, oh, he was heartbroken. He had dug that hole. He, it was his hole. He, 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 he loved that hole. And so he got, uh, he wanted to keep the hole. So he was, you know, dad said, cover it up. So he found a paver and he covered it up. So he kept his hole and was able to obey dad. And I'm like, Okay, that's ingenious. I'll give you that one. Nobody's going to break anything with that. I'll allow that to pass. There's a random paver. You have to jump to it. It makes no sense, but sure. In the yard, random paver. And so let him have it. And uh, so then a, a couple of weeks later, he comes in to me and he's like, Dad, I've got a, I've got a uh, strange question for you. And so when a nine-year-old has a strange question, you're like, this is going to be interesting. So I'm like, son, what, what, uh, what, what do you want to say? He's like, dad, I would like to buy some of our backyard. I'd like to buy some land. And he said, I need 12 inches. Uh, son, son, what on earth are you going to do with 12 in, with one square foot, one square foot of land? He's like, wait just a minute. And he goes and he gets the tape measure and he goes in out into the backyard. He goes, Dad, I need 13 inches. I need 13 inches. And so I was like, son, what are you going to do with that? And he wouldn't really tell me. He's being a little cagey in his negotiations. He didn't want to really let me know what was happening. And then I finally figured out he wanted to buy his hole. He wanted to own it. 
And so he wanted to be able to buy it because what he wanted to do was he wanted to then be able to put something in there and then be able to use that one square foot to go up and build something over his one square foot of land. And he had five bucks to his name. He offered me $5 for a square foot of our backyard, um, which uh, sounds cheap, but that's, folks, that is two, over $200,000 an acre. And so he was making some pretty, pretty decent offer, five bucks a square foot. If you're into commercial land, it's, it's a reasonable amount for commercial land. And so uh, anyway, so he's, he's not even trying to take advantage of me. He would give me a good market rate for a square foot of land. And, um, and so, but uh, I was like, no, son, you, you cannot do that. Our backyard is yours. You can enjoy it. And he's like, mom already told me that, but I wanted, I wanted to be able to own it because then if he owns it, nobody else can come in and have influence over it. He wanted to own it because then he could, that is something he could actually build on. He could actually begin to do some permanence. It wasn't that all of a sudden somebody's gonna say, no, I don't approve of that, that's got to go. Whenever he owned it, it was gonna change everything. And Paul spent three chapters of this trying to get us to own the truth that Jesus is all we need. He wants us to own it. He wants us to make it ours. Paul calls the gospel over and over again. He says, this is my gospel. It's my gospel. He's preaching about Jesus. He says, but this good news, Paul has owned it. And not that he had the copyright on it. He was sitting there being a model. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. This is my gospel. He wanted everybody who followed him to do the same thing. This is my gospel and begin to preach the good news of Jesus. Why? Because that good news was to him and it was to everybody else. And he knows you gotta own it. It can't be a borrowed thing. I was thankful to grow up in a space where my parents owned the truth of who Jesus is, made it freely available and helped me grow in it. But there was a moment I had to own it. It had to be mine. And if all of a sudden, if some place down the road, if my parents thankfully have not ever done this, but they begin to have doubts, it didn't mess me up. The fact that they decided they were gonna move on or something like that wasn't gonna mess me up, I already owned it. Culture couldn't come in and say, you know what, you're building on something you've just rented. We're gonna sit here and we're gonna get rid of that. No, I own this and you can't take it from me. I own it and we have to own the truth. Paul, right at the beginning, if you'll remember, he lays the groundwork and the scriptures talk about for the, the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is everything. So we have to stay focused on this truth that Jesus is everything. So as we go through the rest of this, as we, as we go through the rest of this, we keep that in mind. And he begins to give us some practical things, okay? And we have to keep the supremacy of Jesus, what he's done, what he's accomplished for us, and then everything else can flow naturally out of it. Because then he begins in Colossians 4.2, he tells us this concept that, uh, of keeping the conversation with God going. Keeping the conversation with God going. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. It's conversation. It's expressing and anticipating a response. It's not just blowing up and bl venting to God. Conversation is, ex is expression and anticipating a response. So many times we go into a place of prayer and we go, well, I threw one up to the big guy. We'll see what happens. 
No, it ought to be something, a place where the Holy Spirit begins to respond and to speak and to direct and to guide. It's conversational. He says in verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What are we being watchful for? We're being watchful for the things that we prayed for. Anticipatory. Ready for God to respond. Ready for this thing to actually matter, this prayer. And being thankful. Why? Because God hears and he's a part. We're thankful of the supremacy of who he is. It's already been talked about in the first part of Colossians. And then he says, and pray for us too. I love that he talks and says pray for us too because that means he's okay with the fact that they're praying for their own lives. Sometimes we can feel, get in a place, we feel like it's selfish to just pray for ourselves all the time. That we'll pray for these people and pray for that and all that. But, you know, hey, do you need prayer? No, I'm doing pretty good. There's other people with bigger needs. Won't you put your prayer? No, you need to pray. You need to talk about the things. Your life matters. Your issues matter. Your little things that bring you anxiety and frustration matter. But also, Paul says, but also Pray for us too. It shouldn't just be focused on you, but it's okay that you're praying about the things that are going on in your life. He says, pray for us too. The God, and he wants this. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Jesus for which I am in chains. I love it that he, Paul, ah, he's in chains. And he says, pray for a door to open up for me to minister. He doesn't say, I'm stuck and I can't minister. I'm in chains. Pray that my hindrances go away. His first thing on his mind is a door of, oppor a door of opportunity. That's his first thing on his mind. The chains are secondary. The chains were, in, were a thing. Was, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in prison. But open up a place of opportunity for me to be able to minister. He, I just love Paul's thought flow and the way he thinks. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is a prayer that goes on on the back of getting an opportunity. Pray that I have an opportunity and pray that I proclaim it. Why? Because that opportunity is going to open up. And when I step in, I, I want to make sure I do it clear where people can understand it, where they're not sitting there walking around going, what's all this about? but they understand what they've been confronted with and what they've been told and what they've been, what's been expressed. First Thessalonians, Paul also writes, he says, be joyful always, pray continually. Pray continually. It's just, that means just keeping it going, that you don't have, have this little final amen. It's fine to say amen, which simply means so be it. It's not a spiritual goodbye. You know, so amen. No, it just means so be it. That's what it means. And so in that we just don't ever have to have that final one. We can declare so be it all the way through there, but we want to keep it going. My, my wife, my children, they are fantastic at having continual conversations. I, I'm not a big texter. Texting is for informational purposes for me. That is what texting is for. It's for information. It's not to talk. If I want to talk to you, I will call you. I will say, hey, come have coffee. I will do that. I don't want to like conversate in text. But the rest of my family does. And they all do that. And my wife will have three or four conversations going on all the time. 
And so with different people, and it's just constantly, just all the time. This is it there, she's going to sleep. If like pull the phone out of her hands. And, and so it's not quite that bad, but it's continual. She has these conversations all the time. And that's what it is. You know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to pray continually. Yeah, you do. Just keep it going. Just when things come up in your heart, take them to God. That's all it is. It's not that complex. Next thing Paul hits, it says, be wise toward those who haven't placed their trust in Jesus yet. Man, do we need this? Man, do we need this? We need this coaching. We need this help. He says in verse five, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that it may know how to answer everyone. Now, here's this thing, okay? What is an outsider, according to Paul, okay? Paul writes, and he, he's, a lot of his writings teach us what it means to be in Christ. Those of us who are in Christ, we are insiders. Not that we've got a club, that we're all huddled up, and we all know the way it is, that we all have this, this club, it's, and that everybody else is out. It's that we are in Christ, and there are those who are not yet in Christ, and those are the outsiders. And we have to be wise in the way that we deal with those who have not embraced the truth and the love of God yet. And he begins to give us some really practical things. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Everyone. Not just people whose brains work the way your brain works. That their thought flow works the way your thought flow works. But how to answer Everybody. Here's the challenge I think we have in our culture today. As you take some random person who's disconnected from church, doesn't want to have anything to do with any of that, and you tell them, okay, I want you to have just a conversation about your life, your thoughts, what's going on in your world with a devoted Christian. What do they think that that conversation is going to look like? Do they automatically, oh, man, man, that's, that'll be chill. They're going to be cool. They're going to be, their, their conversation will be full of grace and patience. Is that kind of what we're known for? Somebody thinks that they're going to sit down and have a sit down with one of us. They're anticipating a lot of times judgment. They're anticipating a lot of times an adversarial thing. They're anticipating some real preachiness. This isn't what Paul's talking about. Paul didn't paint that picture that we should be that at all. He says that that we ought to be some of the easiest people to be able to have a conversation with, to be able to talk about the things that are going on in your life, be able to insert the place of God's love and grace and mercy, not that it's watering down and not that we don't, don't sit there and hold up, but guess what? God's love says his kindness leads us towards repentance. <clears throat> we uh, recently, just as a uh, cutie and I, um, one of our digital um, money things, um, and recently there was somebody who did not do something correctly, and they weren't honest, and it ended up making um, about $600 come out of 
one of our accounts, and which was not cool. And so we'd gone through the proper channels and done all the little te text chat email stuff. And, um, but this account happens to be in my wife's name. I was the one dealing with all of it. And so I finally have to talk to a customer rep, okay? Um, this was a frustrating situation. And so um, we were not in the wrong at all. And so I could not step in and handle that. They wanted to talk to the person whose name was on the account, talk to Cutie. And I happen to know more about this and so she's on the phone with this person who's representing the company and explaining things. And then I'm having to try to explain, uh, put her in the middle of that, which is frustrating for her. Um, and so as it's sitting there going back and forth and having to be very straightforward, this is not cool. We're, this is not the way this should have gone. This is not legit. Um, and the lady on the other side is you know, trying to do her part. She has her limits. And uh, I'm just sitting there and finally I just, I'm putting up Christmas lights. You know what? I just let cutie handle this. I'm just putting up Christmas lights. So I'm sitting there and I hear her on the phone. Um, and if you know my wife well, uh, you know that uh, she is uh, a spicy individual. <laughs> and so, uh, and uh and so she is loving. You can't, get a, you can't get a better, more fierce friend than my wife. Um, but uh, she can also be, uh, that fierceness can come out in other ways too. And, um, and so, uh, so she was sitting there and, I, and on the phone and just being real direct. And uh, anyways, and so and I was just sitting there listening to her and she's like, look, um, I understand this isn't, your, this isn't your policy. You didn't create this. You're just doing this. Um, she said, I actually, she said, I want you to have a really good weekend. And I hope that this conversation doesn't bother you in any way. I hope you enjoy your weekend. And just sitting there and just loving on that lady and just encouraging her, um, holding to her guns that we were the ones who were done wrong here. Um, your company is not helping that. Um, but you have nothing to do with it and we want good for you. And so, and I was like, man, that's the way this could go. We can hold to the truth. We can hold these things to say. We can sit there and run, but we can be encouraging. And we say, you know, we love you and you're not the adversary in here. We know you're not the one stealing from us. You're not the one. You're the one caught in the middle of this like anybody else. And we want you to have a good weekend. And so, and it was just like, and we can, we can hold to the truth. We can hold to the things. We can hold fast and be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Romans chapter two, verse three says, so uh, when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. He says, when we are judgy, when we are aggressive to those who are outside, which guess what? There's no hope for righteousness outside of Jesus. Why do we get so frustrated when people who are outside of Jesus act in unrighteous, wrong ways? Man, we have our struggles. Come on now. We got the Holy Spirit. Somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of them, man. What's, what, what hope do they have? They're going to create messes and problems and issues. It's going to happen. Yeah. And he says, when we get all judgy about that, we're not showing contempt for them or their actions. It says we're showing contempt for the kindness of God. Yeah. We're showing him contempt. 
we got to dial this back because we have to remember it's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. Ephesians chapter 5 says, be careful then, be very careful then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If the days were evil when Paul wrote Ephesians, I think we can say we're living in some messed up, jacked up days. I think it fits. But our response to it is being wise and careful in the way we live and, and making the most of every, every opportunity. There do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is his will? But to love him and to love others. That's what we're called to. And so in that, we want to make sure we walk in a place of encouraging each other. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He is writing to the Colossians about Tychicus. And man, he's just encouraging Tychicus right here. And guess what? He says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's encouraging the encourager. He's talking, building him up and encourage him because he is sending them. And what Paul wants the Colossians, he wants them to be encouraged. That's what he wants them to do. I guarantee there are some things that the Colossians needed to adjust and needed to, to do better as a church. But man, he's like, I'm sending him to encourage you. I'm sending him to encourage you. We need to be more encouraging to one another. Encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. First Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you're doing. He says, you're already doing it, but I want to just cheer you on. I want to encourage your encouragement. You guys are doing awesome with encouraging. I just want to encourage that. You just keep that rolling. The next thing we see is to recognize the contributions that others make in our lives. We're coming into Thanksgiving. You're going to be hanging out with some people, maybe, maybe not. But we have means, whether it's face-to-face or, or digital means or phone or whatnot. Maybe in an old school, just handwritten note. I want to encourage you to show some gratitude for those who've made a difference in your life. We can sit around and be thankful and I, you know, we're thankful for, you know, and we, we, we can start it, you know, like normal and you go, I'm thankful for the, the roof over my head. I'm thankful for the food that we're about to eat and, and I'm thankful for the job and I'm thankful for those things. But man, I tell you what, our gratitude needs to turn to one another because the only thing Jesus died to redeem wasn't the roof over our heads or the meal we're about to eat, but people. And what a beautiful time to just show some gratitude and some thankfulness for those who've made a difference in our lives. And Paul takes time to write this. He says, my fellow prisoner, <coughs> Aristarchus, sends you his greeting. So does Mark, the, uh, the cousin of, of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. And if he comes to you, welcome him. 
Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. It's just showing gratitude for those who have made a difference. Epaphras, who is one of you and is a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and he's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And, and for those at Laodicea, Laodicea and Aeropolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send their greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. It's just all the people who are making a difference. Just taking time to just be grateful. And then his last closing idea is to just live in the grace. Just live in the grace. Verse 18 says, Paul, I, Paul, Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my change. Grace be with you. John 1.16 says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. As we're here in this Thanksgiving season, these blessings we've received one after another, they're all out of the fullness of his grace. And if we'll just walk in a place of grace, walk in a place of grace. So how do we keep and walk in the supremacy of Jesus, we keep the conversation going. We're able to be thankful with one another. We're wise in the way we deal with people who've not yet stepped over from death into life. We encourage one another. That's how we do this. It's not complex. It's not hard. And then we stay rooted in the grace. Our bottom line today is being rooted in life produces words that produce life. If you'll notice, every one of these instructions comes back to how ultimately they're going to use their mouth. Are their words seasoned with grace? Are their words encouraging? Are their words wise? Are they using their words to speak to God and keep those in prayer? It constantly comes back to a place of just using our mouths to be able to do things that are life-giving. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.